Welcome in to another episode of Revere House Radio. I'm your host, Robert Shump. While the name Revere has been a staple of American history since Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem was published just before the Civil War, many visitors are surprised to learn that the Revere last name is actually an altered one, one that was made to sound more akin to that of an English colonial. In fact, the name originally had nothing to do with England. It was a French surname, Revoir. What that means for the Paul Revere that we know is that his paternal lineage was French, not English, and he was actually a first-generation American on his Revoir side. Paul's father, whose silver you can still find around American museums under the listing of Paul Revere Sr., was actually named Apollos Revoir at birth and through his first years in America. Apollos was born in France near Bordeaux in late 1702, and left in 1715 to stay for a time with his uncle Simon on the Channel Island of Guernsey. From there, the young Apollos arrived in America at the age of 13 and was somehow able to secure, we don't know whether it was predetermined or when he came into upon arrival to America, an apprenticeship with John Coney, one of the preeminent silversmiths or goldsmiths, if you prefer the more formal and correct term, in Boston. We don't know what drove Apollos, or perhaps more likely his family, to send him to America. Contextually, there was likely a religious component to the move, as the Rivoirs were Huguenots, or French Protestants. Following the revocation of the Edict of Nantes in 1685 by Louis XIV, French Protestants were no longer secured in their personal rights and liberties, as they had been for the previous century. Over the subsequent decades, the opportunities for young French Protestants grew increasingly slim, so it makes sense that Apollos' parents may have looked to the New World in America as a place in which a young Protestant, albeit one who spoke French, might be able to secure a better life amongst the Massachusetts' late Puritan society. Though it was very likely a difficult transition to life in Boston, it seems Apollos made the most of his experience as a teenage immigrant. There would not have been many Frenchmen and Frenchwomen living in Boston at the time, especially as Boston was still a small town at that stage. He would have needed to learn English quickly, as French would have been his native tongue and most likely the only language he knew. That said, there were prominent Huguenot families in Boston, several whose names are still recognizable today, like Bowdoin and Faneuil. Paulus's apprenticeship with John Coney worked out well for him, though Coney ultimately died relatively young and before Apollos was able to fully complete his contracted labor and learning. He was able to draw on Coney's shop and clientele in building up his own practice. He became a skilled silversmith in his own right, and his reputation was certainly enhanced by his training with and connections to Coney. He also must have cracked into Boston society in a meaningful way in a short amount of time as he married Deborah Hitchborn, from the well-established Hitchborn family by 1729. The Hitchborn connection would provide Apollos, but more specifically Paul, important connections and financial benefits that would be a boon to their respective careers, as the Hitchborns were, by that point, well-established across varying professions, with some working as mariners, artisans, and businessmen in Boston. 
According to the Paul we know, his father ultimately changed his name to Paul Revere, as he recollected, merely on account that the bumpkins could pronounce it easier. Paul's comment conveys an amount of disdain for provincial colonists of English descent, and likely scoffed at a young Frenchman trying to make his way in their midst. Though they shared a general Protestant religion, at least to them Apollos wasn't a French Catholic, he clearly must have been treated as an outsider, with a funny name and likely a very strong accent, at least at first. Nevertheless, Paul Sr. became an important member of Boston society, and the more famous Paul continued on with his father's anglicized name. With the new name, Paul Revere interacted more with his Hitchborn relations directly, and benefited from them financially to keep his business running, and ultimately embraced their general culture far more than any lingering French Revoir customs. All the while, Paul Revere that we know remained curious about his father's background. Apollos died on July 22, 1754, when Paul was 19, so we certainly had the chance to know his father, and likely knew him quite well as he spent six years as his apprentice. Still, questions remained, and there was clearly a strong pull for Paul to maintain the Rivoire connection and learn more about his ancestry. Starting in 1775, Paul began a correspondence with two Rivoire cousins that would, at sporadic intervals, span the next few decades and would provide future generations with some of the most personal letters and papers that we have from Paul Revere. Paul would correspond most with his cousin John, who lived on the Isle of Guernsey, and tended to make and take pro-British positions at Rankled Revere. John then put Paul in touch with his second cousin, Matthias, who lived in saint foy le grande in France. Fortunately for us, we can glean several things from the rich letters between these relatives. First, it's immediately clear that Paul Revere did not read or write in French. His cousin Matthias asked him to write in French, if possible, as there was only one person near him who knew English and was able to translate what Paul Revere would write to him. Beyond the linguistical information, the letters offer us real insights into Paul Revere's self-perceptions and political stances. The incomplete correspondence provides some of the most intimate glimpses we get of his feelings about his family and its size. And getting the correspondence with John off the ground in 1781, Revere talked about learning the silversmith trade from his father, his military service, and some of his businesses, which included trade to Holland. In summation of his place in life at that point, he said he was, quote, in middling circumstances and very well off for a tradesman. He went on to detail that he had a wife, eight living children, and one living brother and two living sisters. In continuing on that similar thread, Revere later noted in 1786, quote, I have begun to think that I shall have no more children. I've had 15 children and 6 grandchildren. Though 15 children might sound like a lot to us, it's clear Paul desired more children, and in fact, would get his wish when the 16th and last Revere child, the third and only surviving son named John, was born in 1787. We also know that Revere definitely would have been a person to talk politics at family gatherings. Revere felt free to delve into deep discussions about his feelings on the American Revolution and the reasons behind it. In fact, he and his cousin John really had it out on the issue. 
Revere wrote to John towards the end of the American Revolution and spewed vitriol towards the British. Revere argued that it was, quote, the birthright of every Englishman not to be taxed without the consent of himself or representative, and that King George III and his ministers, quote, did not want colonies of free men, they wanted colonies of slaves. He said the name of an Englishman was, quote, odious to Americans, and that Americans would now, at the end of the revolution, be free forever of British oppression. Despite potential political differences, it's clear that Revere held an affinity for his cousins after getting to know them a bit more through the correspondences. He desired to maintain the Revere-Revoir connection, as he made a generous offer to John in 1782, saying, quote, My dear cousin, I must once more invite you to come to America. Should there be a peace, which I hope is not far distant, you may enjoy all the liberties here, which the human mind so earnestly craves after. I am not rich, but I am in good circumstances, and if you will come here, you shall not want. While I have a shilling, you shall have part. Paul Revere himself never crossed the Atlantic to do a deeper dive into his paternal lineage, nor does it seem either of his cousins made their way to the United States. Revere's curiosity about his French heritage has continued on through the family and for generations of historians. In the 1880s, his grandson, General Joseph Warren Revere, traveled to France on a fact-finding mission. While his work proved inconclusive, he identified a coat of arms similar to that which Paul Revere himself used. He also compiled information on the de Revoirs in Dauphiny. There is, of course, much more information on the concrete connections to the Revoirs in France. The correspondence is rich but incomplete, as some of the exchanges have been lost or remain one-sided. We hope to do more work with this story of immigration and transatlantic politics in the future, though I hope this serves as a good primer for anyone interested in the immigrant history for the Revere family. That'll do it for this week's episode. We'd love to maintain the links to the Revere family and Sarah and France where we can, so do let us know if you have any additional thoughts or insights into the Revere's French connections. In closing, we'd like to thank the continued support from the Society of the Cincinnati, which helps make this programming possible. As we continue our programming, please follow us on all of our social media platforms to keep up to date on all PRH happenings. And as a reminder, the Revere House itself is open to the public if you'd like to come visit in person. Currently, we're open 10 to 4, Wednesday through Sunday, but do check out our website or give us a call to confirm any changes to the schedule before visiting, especially if you're listening to this episode sometime after it airs. As always, we greatly appreciate your continued support. Until next time, stay safe, and thanks for listening.